Hi, and welcome to Gender Nebulous. This is a bonus episode. Um, we're in between Series 1 and Series 2, and I'm, Oscar wanted to come on and do a little podcast. Um, Oscar Hoyle is the CEO of um, Blossom LGBT down in Surrey. Um, welcome, Oscar. Hi, thanks so much for having me again. And good yeah, to see this is you. the second time you've been on, isn't it? I think it was November last year. November last year when you uh, when we did the other podcast and that went out on um, Transclusive. So this one's going to go out on both Transclusive and Gender Nebulous. So what have you been up to? Been a long time. Well, busy all the time, you know, um, lots of new work with Blossom. Um, recently a position with Trans in the City, which is very exciting. Yeah. Um, all sorts of elements like that actually so so last time you were um you know you were you were director and now you ceo so it sounds like you've had a promotion too uh yeah so since uh moving to ceo so but when we last spoke blossom was very much me or my sort of todd working incredibly hard and i decided that i needed people around me who could really help us with the direction so i've just recruited a new board of five directors plus myself and felt like it's probably best for me to move into a CEO position instead mm-hmm. so that you know it's my responsibility to lead the organization but have a group of people there who um really have a good head on their shoulders and know what they're doing yeah that always helps <laughs> <laughs> so I think yeah go on oh I, I think when you do something on your own it's a bit it can be overwhelming and a bit very easy to get lost um, yeah. and sometimes lose the direction. So it's so good to have people that are there to sort of keep you on track and just nudge you every now and again and say, oh, excuse me, what are you doing? Yeah. Keep you on the straight and narrow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like having babysitters. <laughs> so, you know, last time you, you, we also, I think we were talking about your uh, activism. You've been a queer activist. I hope you still are a career activist. I hope you've not changed that idea. And uh, you're also a plant enthusiast. So that I'm, I'm hoping that both those are still in place. We've merged them at this point. So what I do is I find anti-LGBT houses and I just grow so many house plants out the front they can't leave. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. I like that. Yeah, so, you, so you're still doing that one, are you? You've not, been, you've not been stealing any more large pink megaphones or anything? No megaphones, not for a while, but still, you know, coming up with ideas that I feel awful for some of the people I work with who um, I, I talk quite often to Shay Coffee, who is the oh, yeah. I know owner, CEO, something like that of Medway Pride Radio. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be like, right, that's it. I'm going to go and do this outside the House of Parliament or I'm going to go and do a die-in outside the, mm. this place. And Shay's like... Hang on just a second. Let's just think about the legalities of what you want to do. <laughs> oh, so Shay's a bit like me. Um, you know, when, when I'm doing things with Frida, we have this same conversation. Like, you know, Frida's Frida wants to go and throw bricks and smash windows and stuff. And I'm like, um, yeah, okay, can we just talk about this first? So yeah. What so Shay you know, what I... what's your what's your kind of view on activism in that sense? I mean, we've we've had lots of conversations recently around what kind of activism should we be doing and you know what does it involve and should we keep it how how legal do we want it to to remain you know that kind of stuff well i i feel like we're moving towards an ontario is a um 
sorry, I can't talk today. We're moving towards a position where the current political uh, environment doesn't want us to have any form of activism yeah. or protest. So it's very difficult for things to remain legal in the sort of settings that we're in currently. But I, I personally feel that we want to be building empathy. So um, what we want really is so many people who feel empathy and compassion towards the experiences of trans and non-binary people that actually they are willing to support us, to advocate for us and to actually take into account our experiences when they do things like vote. And I think that when you do activism that sort of displaces the masses, I suppose. So things like blocking entire roads or, um, you know, sort of taking a leaf out of the environmentalist books and ruining gardens at Chelsea Flower Show, things like that. Although it gets you attention and it doesn't win empathy and compassion. And yeah. I, I personally, my thought is that we want people to build empathy and compassion towards trans experiences because that's exactly what anti-trans activists are trying to do is dehumanize us so we need to humanize ourselves <laughs> and that's my opinion is that although i would absolutely love to be out throwing bricks and um you know ruining places i feel like we could we can be smarter and more strategic in what we do um although there's always a place for sort of disruptive activism so but for me I'd love to do something like something that's been on my mind for a long time is do you remember the magician in London who lived in a box for a month? Uh, yeah. Who was that? I can't remember the name. Nor can I. Right. I do it know who you mean. always comes and goes. I do know who you mean. Yeah. <laughs> like something like that where you cannot ignore it. You can't ignore it. And it's not obvious. doing, it's not kind of affecting anybody else kind of thing, I guess. Exactly, exactly that. Lives. Yeah. So more um, of a spectacle. I think so, yeah. yeah. Something that you can't ignore, but shows us as people. Yeah, because, uh, you know, some, some of the environmental groups, they have changed the tack, haven't they, recently, where they were doing a lot of um, activism, you know, like closing roads and disruption. And I think they've, I think they've moved away from that a little, maybe not, Maybe not the one that have been in the recent news, but the other organisation that was, I can't remember what it's called now, but they had they had a boat in the middle of London, can't remember the name of it, but um, they were they were getting a lot of you know re- resistance from the public, so they, they changed tack a little bit to try and engage more with you know the, just what we were saying there, um, do less disruptive stuff, but you know improve your relationship with the with the public to get more support. I think it's you know it's kind of as as they've matured, they've probably changed tack, realizing that they need they need more support to you know to achieve the goals. I guess that's what I guess that's what we're facing a little bit. I think so. I think it's difficult when when you're living in a democratic, uh, supposedly democratic society, yeah, borderline. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the the actually disruptive polit- uh, disruptive politics, anything like that doesn't necessarily get you as far as you need to get um but what it has done is it's won them a platform that you can't deny so 
I mean, yeah. if you think back before their first, before the ext- first Extinction Rebellion protest, I wouldn't have a clue who they were. And then all of a sudden it was like Extinction Rebellion have shut down London and you just think... Yeah, so it was, yeah, Extinction yeah. Rebellion. And then the other one is Just Stop Oil that's, yeah. that's in the news at the moment, yeah. Just Stop Oil have taken up the same tactics that they did have. Um I mean, there's been a lot of there's been yeah. a lot of things on TV recently with just the oil where, where you know people throwing up the orange powder. Um, we've seen quite a bit of that. I mean, it's not it's not doing any harm as such, but yeah, it's disruptive. I mean, if they're going to go the same way as you know Extinction Rebellion, um, don't know. What do you think? Well, I think. I mean, I have a, I have always have like an undying respect for anyone that's willing to put themselves at risk of prison or harm for a cause that they believe in. Mm. So to that extent, I still have massive respect for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, personally, I don't necessarily agree with the way that they're currently doing it. Um, but I also don't want to fall into respectability politics where it's like, oh, must, mustn't do this because we mustn't upset people because actually we should be upsetting people. Yeah. Because I think if if your if your activism doesn't make people feel uncomfortable, then you're probably doing it wrong. Yeah, so um, what's the point of activism if no one gets what's that? You know, so. Yeah, yeah. So it's about finding that middle ground, I think, where, you know, actually I struggle to see what throwing orange pound powder all over a Chelsea flower garden show that's about sustainability would. Well, it was. Do. I mean, it gets attention. It gets attention. It gets in the media. You know, that's. I think that's why yeah. it's done. But, it's but then, it's there then, might be so... there might be better ways. I think. Um, but I, I'm. We're, I think. Yeah. I think what we've been trying myself and Frida. What we've been trying to understand is well, what can what can we do as trans and non-binary people. You know, in that activism world, where we can, you know, we can do things that um, are, you know, the most effective things to do that get the best results. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are those things? That's that's. I think that's the thing that we struggle with at times. I I'm not always sure the answer of that, um, but one of the best pieces of advice that I actually got in the last year was from another trans trans activist who. It's like you just have to consistently ask yourself the question, and what next? So you're going to go and do disrupt a garden flower show, and and what what comes after that? How do you? Yeah, you, you've got this attention, which is great because they got the what? attention they want. But then what? You know, and I think sometimes that's what's missing in a lot of politics is maybe we need to worry less about how we make the noise, but then what we do once we've got the attention. Um, so and that's quite a difficult thing to do because let's face it if you get a trans person on the telly you're not going to be treated very well <laughs> no we've, we've, we've seen this say. many many times i mean i was watching the um the gender wars thing last night on tv um yeah not it was not exactly an enjoyable thing to watch um you know it, it really came across as the Kathleen's dot rehabilitation um, the documentary, very similar to the podcast that was done for J.K. Rowling, which was the Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling. That was um same thing. It was a you know rehab rehab podcast for her. So yeah, there were I mean there were some trans people in uh, Gender Wars, such as Professor Stephen Whittle and others. And you know when they were then they were invited on, they weren't told 
what you know it was going to be called gender wars it had a completely different title they weren't even told that kathleen stott was going to be in it so they were really duped into doing it um and i think a lot of the stuff they had said was not used you know it was excluded from the final cut so it was really kind of let's use these trans people to you know put this documentary together to promote and rehab kathleen stott and it really it really comes across badly i don't know if you've seen it yet but what what were your thoughts on that? It's been all over the news recently. I I struggle because Kathleen Stock has always been known as anti-trans. You know, <laughs> I so I grew up in very well, I grew up between Surrey and Sussex. I spent a lot of time in Brighton, which is where she was sort of her last academic placement was. Um and it was well known that she was was anti-trans. It wasn't like something that just appeared uh, i i know students that were that she was the lecturer for or, or knew her i don't know exactly how they knew her um that would be like well this isn't new <laughs> it's not new it's just that people finally got to the point where enough was enough and actually you know if that many students are feeling put out upset hurt damaged then <laughs> i i personally feel like well maybe she shouldn't be involved in a university yeah because we were, I was chatting to a university, um, and I won't name them, but recently, and we were saying that, you know, actually, surely the priority should be on the students of the university, because the university is their f- primary focus of the university is for its students. Um, so why, why, why aren't the students being listened to? And why are the students being made to feel uncomfortable? Aspects like that. Um, so I didn't watch it purely because I can't. She makes my skin crawl. But I think it's so that there's such a level of hatred. And I, I can't understand why there is such a level of hatred in her case. And whether you pretend that it's academic freedom or whether you pretend yeah. that you have genuine concerns. Well, know, I mean that. I mean that's it. that's kind of what what is kind of the the focus of the of the program was on. It was it was around like you know free speech and this is this is my opinion. I'm not transphobic and all, and all this kind of stuff. But you know what I think what these people forget is that okay, yeah, free speech. But what about the consequences of what you're saying? You know, mm-hmm. they tend to ignore that completely. You know, doing a doing a debate was it in in the Oxford debating, whatever. I've never been to Oxford. I don't know, um, but you know, it's it's just some of the language they use is just horrendous to listen to. The way they talk about yeah. it, the way the way they put trans people down, the way they like they talk they talk they talk about it as like we're not human in a way. You know, it's mm-hmm. like how they get oh, away yeah. with it. I don't know. If you were to do that with any and, other group, can you imagine the reaction? Well, exactly. And I think, you know, yes, you, you have free speech, but free speech doesn't trump the Equalities Act. It doesn't trump other people's civil liberties. Like, actually, free speech doesn't mean freedom from consequence, mm. like you just said, but it also doesn't mean that you don't have to apply to the law. And law is there, above all, to protect others. And... <laughs> Actually, the Equality Act makes it very clear that there are protected characteristics, one of which is gender reassignment, which is protected, you know, 
Um, and that once somebody has started to transition, it doesn't specify where that point is. It just says that somebody is covered by gender reassignment when they have started transitioning, that for all intents and purposes, they should be protected against discrimination and harassment. And that doesn't mean that you then have the free speech to say, well, I just don't agree with that. That's, <laughs> that's, that your your opinion doesn't matter. Uh, not to sound like a right-wing podcaster, but facts don't care about your own opinions. And the facts are, it's a legislative um, protection. So, you know, free speech, fine, but it doesn't mean that you can't then have consequences for breaking the law. <laughs> Yeah, or harassing people using yeah. with your free speech, or you know, making the yeah, lives miserable exactly. with your free speech, etc. Um, you know, you got you've got Julie Bindle and um, Kathleen Stock in that in that program, and you know they're all the they kind of keep going on about uh, biological sex and how trans women are men and all this kind of stuff, um, totally ignoring the fact that trans people are fully aware of their biology you know we do know where we came from what, what how we were you know what we were when we were born we, we're fully aware of that the, the fact is that we identify differently to our you know sex that we had at birth i mean that's that's you know one of the things about being trans it's a kind of a it's a lifetime battle against that you know and you do you do what you can you know to to change your physical aspects and you know you live your life the way that makes you comfortable but they, they totally kind of ignore that and oh it's it's just about biology and nothing else i mean it's it's totally bizarre point of view from what i can see they're just blind to the reality beyond that you know there's so many parts of us that isn't built by our biology yeah um there's so there's so much you know if you just judged biology, I'm exactly the same as about a hundred other people. But actually, there are elements of my personality, how I talk, how I present myself, mm. what I believe in, yeah. that make that make me completely different. Um, and I guarantee that they probably don't want to be lumped in with all women, so <laughs> because that in itself would be sexist. So it's really it's a bizarre narrative to take, and I think that that's kind of the whole problem with uh, not, not the whole problem but part of the problem with the gender critical narrative is that it's anti-feminist yeah, <laughs> absolutely it, it says all women are the same and all women ha have to be able to carry children things like that and you know yeah, it's I all know reduced it's... down to biological essentialism and that's it there's no there's nothing else oh, to it exactly and you know i have a friend in in the US who due to the abortion bans um decided that she would oh gosh what's the surgery called where um you have your ovaries removed um, um yeah it's completely gone remember. anyway <laughs> but <laughs> anyway it's no yeah. it is is no longer able to carry children um, does that mean that she's not a woman anymore? Because she made a decision to have that because she's she's been legislated against to the point where she feels like it would be safer for her to not be able to have children rather than run the risk of having to have an abortion illegally. Um, yeah. That doesn't make her not a woman anymore. And again, that's something that... like Well, if you, if you, you know, it's as though, according to 
some of the gender crits, you know, if you were to remove all the biological aspects that make you whatever sex you are, um, you know, if you were just a head on a stick um, with no with no body below your neck, I mean, what, what sex are you then? You know? Yeah. Uh, drives me around the bend. And I feel like, you know, how do you reason with unreason? Something that I learned very early, actually, in my first job in customer services, is you can't reason with unreason. So no, you can't argue with stupid. Have, yeah. So when you have an unreasonable, unjustified, unqualified person trying to argue that your your gender identity isn't correct well it's quite difficult to, to reason with them because they're not approaching you from a point of logical reason i mean it's, it's surely it's up to the individual to decide what gender they are based on you know what they think about themselves and how they how they fit into the community in which they live i mean it's nobody else's business at the end of the day is it no it's just nice no, it's, it's no. just nonsense yeah, so I mean that was that was the uh gender wars show. Um yeah, I wouldn't really advise it. I mean you can watch it if you want to, but <laughs> stick on drag race, you know. Yeah, there's so much better things to watch on TV. Um so yeah, the, something that we spoke about last time when you were on was uh Lisa's Lisa I was gonna say Lisa Stansfield there, but it wasn't, it was Lisa Townsend, the uh police commissioner in Surrey. Mm. So I think at the time you, you'd put in a freedom of information request, hadn't you? Um, did anything come of that in the end? Did, did it? Did anything get resolved? Because I know afterwards, Frieda had done an interview where um, Lisa Lisa Townsend was on it. Mm-hmm. I think it was on um, the Dam. I think it was Dam Wooten. I can't remember now. But um, yeah, I mean that was that was a bit feisty. Did anything, did anything come no. from your? FOI and what was going no, on at the time? No, not really. Nothing. Um, nothing. I so I learned a valuable lesson in in this, which is um don't rely on the media to help. Yeah. <laughs> so um I didn't get anywhere really, so I decided to take it to uh sort of regional media. Um and more or less I gave them this is what I have. And I guess similarly to what we were just talking about, it it was more a rehab piece for her. So mm. the article title wasn't "Sorry, PCC accused of blah blah blah" or "Emails emails released prove or show that sorry, PCC blah blah blah." It was Lisa Townsend denies being transphobic with a picture of her, um, and the majority of the article being her response to what I had sort of said if that makes sense. So yeah, because at the time much... it was all about police police doing per, per, um, searches, wasn't it? Police searches, trans trans police doing searches. I think that was the topic at the time. Um, <clears throat> it's all gone. I mean, it's, since since then, it's all gone completely quiet. You never hear about it anymore. I'm, I'm just wondering how long Lisa Townsend's got in that position now. Can't be much longer, can it? Because is it four-year periods? Or is Runs it for four years. years. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think we've seen the last of her. Probably not. Um, I think you're you're talking about Surrey. <laughs> so, um, you know, actually, I say that I say that our last election, Woking, has been a conservative town for the last 25, 20, 25 years. 
Um, and this is the first time since that it's fallen into the control of the Liberal Democrats. So, so the most recent time, the most recent election, it's changed over, has it? At the, mm-hmm. the last elections we just yeah. had, yeah, yeah. So the last two local elections, the Conservatives have lost every seat, um, more or less. So it, it might well be come the next election that we don't see her as another term of the Police and Crimes Commissioner. But I, I have this feeling that you know that for 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 her she's really and you know say what you want she's clearly very press-minded very good at pr very good at public relations very good at getting spotlight so i just can't see that she would want to that now go back into working a job that's not politically focused so yeah stay in the limelight it was very, it was very strange because there was there wasn't any real reason for any of that to, you know, be in the news at the time because nothing had actually happened with regarding police and searches. It, it just felt like it was, okay, what's next on my list of transphobic things to do? And it was, oh, let's talk about this issue because nothing happened. You know, I mean, Frida made a really good point when she was in that interview about Lisa Townsend is looking the wrong way. You know, you shouldn't be looking at what trans women police officers are doing, you should be focusing on the fact that, you know, women are being attacked by the police. You know, you're looking the wrong way was the was the point that was made in that interview. Well, the most recent report from the mayor, I mean, it speaks volumes, doesn't it? Actually, there's almost no mention of trans people in it at all. Um, but what is very, very clear is a culture of racism and misogyny uh, exactly. and homophobia within, within the Met. And... I don't yeah, want to say all that. police forces. I don't want to say all police forces are the same, but let's face it, they all come from the same background in terms of the the, the forces. Generally, all come from the same culture. They've all been run the same way. Now, I I I touch wood and hope that sorry, police isn't the same. I I work with some truly amazing people within the force, um, but the. If, if it's that bad in the Met and I can hop on a train in 20 minutes, less than 20 minutes from Surrey and be in the same place as the Met, there's got to be overlap. And maybe, you yeah. know, maybe we should be focusing on that and making sure that Surrey residents are safe from actual issues that are proven in facts rather hmm. than rather than focusing on the, the big scary trans person yeah the big scary trans person the story that they've blown up out of all proportion there's no actual evidence of anything and there's no actual case they focus mm-hmm. all their attention on that and then meanwhile all the other stuff the misogyny they just ignore it i mean it's like what what are you doing <laughs> you know it's focus on the stuff that you need to and, and get your priorities right well well that and then you look and both surrey and the met have said that they're going to spend less time responding to mental health calls and it's like, why are we focusing on mental health again? Like, <laughs> you know, actually, let's. What is focus this? On I mean, it's like problems. distraction politics, isn't it? Let's let's cause a fire over here, so you don't talk about this issue over here. No, it's yeah. Let's. It's time for people to forget about this awful report now. So let's just cause up some other fuss. Um, yeah. Um, that I mean, the, the mental health situation is a whole other cat of fish, I suppose. But it's kind of just shows that you know. It's just one fire after another, really. And I think that hopefully, maybe, 
the the current situations will mean that trans people might get arrested, but yeah, yeah, could do with one. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so, what 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 things have you been have you been getting up to with um with Blossom? Then I know I know you've been working on a twenty twenty three to twenty five strategy, and I have mm. a copy of it open on my screen here. I have to admit, I've not been through it all the fine tooth comb. So, um. Do you want to do you want to talk about that? Just explain what you've been doing with that. Yeah, so for the last four years, I suppose Blossom has been a passion project, and it's just kind of been something that I've just done for for the love of doing it. Um, but I feel like Blossom needs to become one of the big names. Um, so in in launching this this first five-year strategy my goal is that when people think of gendered intelligence mermaids um just like our stonewall transaxial transcendency they also think of blossom um that's kind of the position that i want us to be in as an organization um and i want to see blossom taken over southeast england uh, <laughs> that's ambitious yeah like, well, really ambitious. Wrong with ambitious but um I felt as if to do that and to get us to a place where Blossom can really be what it needs to be, it needed some sort of clear directional strategy so that everyone who's involved can sing from the same hymn sheet. And, you know, I'm really excited about this strategy because it's taking us from, let's just do some art workshops, let's just do a social space into really having a really clear vision a message and idea of what we're here for so blossom's kind of overall goal for the next five years is to empower queer young adults um and that our vision is that we'll create environments where lgbt young adults can succeed in all aspects of their social and professional lives and that means that we are launching things like mentoring um for uh lgbt young adults that aren't in education employment or training mm -hmm. um through to schemes to develop artists to pursue creative practices aspects like that so it's really exciting there's some really really kind of diverse things there that you, you you're planning on i mean just on on page two of the of the um strategy you you've there's a there's a thing that something that caught my eye there and it's i'll just read it out it says amongst other things i'm particularly keen to focus on engaging more with black asian middle eastern and other minority ethnic communities in the years to come so can you just expand on that one a, a little bit as well? Yeah, so uh, it's a real common problem in charities is charities become white. And yeah. the people who are running the charities only think about the problems that affect white people. So, and I mean, I'm not having to go at middle-class white people, but they seem to be the ones who, you know, like to be in charge of charities, should we say? Yeah, absolutely. And there, there, you know, there, there are bona fide reasons behind that. There mm -hmm. are so many additional barriers to marginalised people to volunteer. If you think, um, think about all of the barriers that you have getting into work, is someone who has significant barriers getting into work, you're then going to choose to volunteer for free? Mm, probably not. Um, so all sorts, all, all not-for-profit is set up really to disadvantage marginalized people and something that i think is really important is that in the services that we deliver as well as the volunteers as well as any future employment is that blossom is a, a honest 
reflection of the community, LGBTQ plus community. And something that makes the LGBTQ plus community so beautiful is that we have people from different races and ethnicities and backgrounds. We have people with different access needs. And um, that's why that's in there because it's such a huge and important part of the work that I want to do is to make sure that the people that we're working with are not just white, middle-class, able-bodied people. Yeah. So, and through um, strategic monitoring of our service users, it's become really clear to me that actually we have loads of um, people that experience neurodiversity, people with access needs, people um, from different countries, but we are lacking on that sort of Black, Asian, Middle Eastern representation. So it's something that's really key as part of our diversity and inclusion focus is to make sure that we're engaging with that community as well. So under the heading of Why Blossom Matters, I'm just going to read out a few of mm. the headers there. Um, <clears throat> there there's been a hundred, uh, 271% increase in hate-motivated crimes since 2012. The increase to... That increased to 1,300% for crimes towards trans people. Um, since 2015, the UK has dropped from 1st to 17th place on the International LGBTI Association's ben benchmark of laws and attitudes towards LGBTQ plus people. 85% um, of the public will be supportive if a close member came out as lesbian, gay or bi. 71% will be supportive if they came out as trans or non-binary. And then whilst whilst working, um, almost 6% of LGBTQ plus people who have left left the job in the last year did so as a result of feeling excluded due to their identity. So there's some pretty stark um, stats there. You know, I guess that's, you know, one of the reasons why you're doing this. To try yeah. and make a change, make a difference in those areas. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's to us, the solutions are obvious because we, we have the lived experience, which is why it's a, almost a interesting space to be working within. And the, the, the statistics make for a really hard reading as a queer person. Yeah, I mean, only read out about person, less than a quarter of them there. There was, there was a whole page of them. Yeah, yeah. And... They make for hard reading and they really drive home that whilst some of our community may feel that they've got everything that they need, there's a huge group of us that have been left yeah. behind. Yeah. And this is this kind of rationale behind the statistics is that it shows that when we are empowered um, to succeed, when we're empowered without facing discrimination in the workplace, at home, that we can achieve really amazing things. And, but there's a lot of work to do to get there. And that's what this statistics is to help us to, to understand that fundamentally we have a really long way to go, but there is hope. The second, uh, the third stat you read out about 85% um, of the public being supportive of a close family member if they came out mm. as gay, lesbian or bi. Mm -hmm. What that actually does is it speaks to the fact that while some, a lot of us have a, awful workplace experiences that actually people are supportive so we're not having to go out and change heart and minds in a lot of the work that we're doing we're going out to show people how to be supportive and how to do the right thing and how to support someone if they meet that 15 percent that don't support their family members 
Um, so it really helped us set a clear direction for the work. Yeah, and how do those figures kind of compare to what what goes on online? Because you know, from my my personal experience, the stuff online tends to be a hundred times worse than it you know what goes on in real life. Um, you know, I've I've had a lot of good family support, good work support. It's only really online where we get these awful um, you know attacks politically through the media online. I mean, it doesn't really affect day-to-day experience so much, although that might be changing um, negatively. Yeah. I think that's because the internet isn't reality. Um, the internet is what has paid the most to be SEO optimized, um, what appeals most to the algorithm. And mm-hmm. actually, if you look at TikTok or Facebook, Twitter, their algorithms are set up to get um, negative attention. So (laughs) it's more to do with the amount of engagements they get per tweet rather than actually whether the content is good or high quality. So there's something called rage farming, which is really popular at the moment, which is where um, websites that mass produce content gave for content that they know is going to annoy people and upset people. And I think that is why the internet seems so hostile is because it it's because it gets yeah, angry, it feeds you the conveyor belt the conveyor belts of hate, doesn't it? The, yeah. And then the algorithm picks up on it because I could tell you if I turn around and tweeted today that I had a really lovely coffee in the middle of Cornwall in the sun, probably going to get one like. But if I turn around and said something incredibly outrageous that was awful, it probably get you know hundreds. Yeah. So are are you kind of reviewing all the services that you provide, and you just want to go through yes. what, what those are, or what what you're kind of planning to do? Yeah. So I, part of what we wanted to do is make sure that the work that we offer is right for the community and that they need it. So. Uh, what we decided is we were going to split our work up into pillars. So um, fundamentally, what does Blossom do? Um, and what does the, what what aspects do our services need to hit? So all of our services need to provide a social element, an upskilling element, and an element where someone can express themselves. And it also needs to provide an environment where people can blossom, because I just love puns. Um, so from yeah, Blossom is a really good word for your organization isn't it it's really, really, <laughs> tells you what it's doing it's all in one word it's exactly blossoming. it's making people blossom so um and that is important because i have adhd and i'm neurodiverse so i have a million and one ideas and i want to do every single one of them and i want to do every single one of them yesterday so this this task really for us was around actually how do you control me (laughs) so that I don't go and do a million things um but how do we make sure that the things that we do put our energy into are the right ones so what we decided to do was break up our service and look at what do we deliver and how do we sort of hone that into the right space and fit into the pillars um so we're going to be doing our social groups so that we provide a working social group and we've provided that for 18 to 25 year olds since we first opened in 2018. Um, and our decision here is that that's going to go up to 30 now. So we'll actually be providing it for 18 to 30 year olds because what we did is 
realize that there is actually no service providers when you turn 25 anymore in Surrey. So they're just going slowly, but slower and slower. So we needed to make sure that we were still supporting quote unquote young adults, but that we could push it a bit higher. Um, and the reason why we felt that social groups were still so important is because 56% of LGBT people say they experience loneliness very often or every day. And that's that's terrible. And of course, loneliness might sound bad in itself, but that leads to mental health problems, um, self-esteem issues, risky decision making. Mm -hmm. So our social group will still remain sort of one of our fundamental services as Blossom. Um, We'll also then be doing our employability skills and mentoring scheme. So this is a new thing for us. And the reason why we targeted this one was because 60% of graduates who are open about being LGBT in education go back in the closet when they go back to work. It's over half, which is just so high. Yeah, Um, that's a big number. Yeah, and trans women are underrepresented in the workspace by 24%. So there's a lot of work here to do to get young adults into, into work authentically. And we know that the longer somebody is out of work or out of education, the harder it is for them to get back into work or education. So our goal is to provide an early prevention service where we'll work with people who are queer from the ages of 16 up to 30 and provide them with things such as um, one-on-one mentoring, Mm -hmm. um, but also come and spend a day finding out what it's like to be a chef or come and spend a day finding out what it's like to work in this accountancy software company. So So, have you got kind of relationships with those kind of companies that people can be paired up with that can go and do that? We are building them slowly, but slowly. So at the moment, the music publishing association are interested um, plus a few others who were at very early stages of communications with, but we we've got a long way to go with that at the moment. So it's not, it's not there yet um this is sort of a very early stage idea that we have yeah, yeah. that we will be launching within the five years if that makes sense right so it's like you've got like short-term things and long-term targets and stuff like that yeah yeah, yeah. so the, so the, i mean that first one then the the employability skill mentoring scheme um that is that is that under the upskilling pillar is that how that works yeah, so that's the main pillar that it falls within is upskilling. Right, and then uh, and then I guess the second one is corporate training and consultancy. Yeah, under the that, same that again thing under the same one. Yeah, um, and that is it's a really nice thing for us because because we're working with queer young adults every day that every day of the year yeah. we get like an invaluable insight into what it's like to be going into work for the first time. And what this does is this allows us to actually take what our members are telling us and turn it into tangible guidance so that when they do get into a workplace, the guidance that we can give to businesses is um, truly representative of their experiences. So it's quite a nice sort of way to do it. And then with it being user led, it then it comes full circle because that training consultancy then funds our social groups. So it's a really nice sort of full circle moment, I suppose, for that work. So I think one of the one of the kind of barriers toward you know in finding work, especially when you're young LGBT people, is 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 that knowledge of this company I want to go and work with. What are they like with 
inclusivity and diversity when it comes to LGBTQ people? I mean, how do they have policies in place? What what are the, what kind of things do they have in place that make it a safe and you know interesting place for me to go and work? You know, a lot of the stuff that I think trans in the city are doing in that area is really exciting and interesting because they involve large corporations like the one I work for. Um, I guess you're probably not doing it at that at that level. You're probably doing it more on a local kind of level in your area. Um, but yeah, I mean that whatever whatever's can be done in that area of encouraging people into work and giving them the skills they need and reassuring them that it is a safe place to go because of X Y Z. I mean that's I think that's really important. It's it, you know I it's a bit different for me because I transitioned when I was already in work, so that I didn't have that barrier. You know I was I'd already got through the door, um, and then I transitioned many years later, but. I do worry now that if I was to change jobs, if I was to go and try and find another job outside of the company I currently work in, would I struggle because I'm trans? Mm-hmm. Would that be a barrier? I mean, and it probably would in a lot of cases. So, it, you know, even yeah. somebody who's of my age and I'm no spring chicken, you know, I've got a lot of experience in what I do, but even, even I w- worry quite a lot about what happens if this job was to be lost or the company shut or something, what would I do next? You know, it is a it is a worry. It's not oh, you know, yeah. not just at the start of your career, but throughout your whole career, that's always going to be there because you know you know people change jobs. I think on average every five years. Um. So you know that that's constantly in the back of your mind. Where where do I go next? How am I going to get in there? Oh, it's a huge concern. And I think even for me now, to be honest with you, so I'm looking to pick up some part-time jobs. Um, and I, I've i always had my pronouns on my CV mm. and say they, them. And I've been I've not been very successful in job hunting this time around, which has been a surprise because I don't want to brag, but I have a relatively impressive CV for the sort of work that I want to do. Um, and so I've, I've took it off my CV and all of a sudden started getting callbacks. And I don't know. I don't know if it's linked or not, but it was interesting to see. Um, I mean, obviously, we're, we're not the only group who suffers from this kind of thing. You know, it's, it's it's probably, it feels like a form of discrimination against minorities. You know, mm-hmm. LGBT people are not the only people who suffer this, obviously. But Oh, no, no. You know, um, but it's, it, it, you do see it. It is there. I was working with a colleague recently um, and she has a name that's origins is from Afri- African culture. And um, she was like, I don't use my real name when I apply for jobs. Mm. She says I use People Beth. change their names. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm like, it's so sad. It is. I, I just, it's terrible. I, I just hate that. And, you know, I'm, I'm seeing organisations moving towards things like um, anonymised recruiting. And yeah. I can see why. But I also feel like if you've like, got so you don't, you don't know you what you don't use... know what gender somebody is, you don't know what age they are, you don't know what then you don't know what the first name is. Yeah, those, mm-hmm. I think I think that that kind of blind recruitment just based on the the facts of your experience, I think that's a really good move because it does take away that potential, doesn't it, to discriminate based on those things. I think to an extent, but th- there's also a concern for me when I see anonymized recruitment, which is this is mean I'm walking into a really horrible culture. Yeah, we, yeah, to the point where they have to use this service because they <laughs> so you can't really win. Um, yeah, that's true too. As, 
as a minoritized person looking for work. And this is why I think things like seeing organizations that have trans in the city membership or that are Stonewall diversity champions, or even say, you know, we work with a consultant who specializes in LGBT inclusion uh, on their website, things like that. And that, that is what I look for now when I'm looking yeah, for work. So if you know, if you know that, okay, this company works with Trans in the City, it, you know, they've worked with Blossom, they've worked with Stonewall. It does give a bit of a indication, doesn't it? As to, a little bit, can give you a bit of confidence that, yeah, this probably is the right place. Yeah, uh, no, exactly that. It makes me feel like, do you know what? I'm going to put my, you know, I'm going to give them my CV and I'm going to be completely honest and open about what I do. I'm going to leave the fact that I work at Blossom LGBT rather than calling it just Blossom on my CV, things like things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, I mean, yeah. That, yeah, that that's hugely important. Um, and then the next, next one here is a Guardian Support Scheme. I'm not quite sure. Mm-hmm. So it's not means. Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I wish it was. So <laughs> um, we, for the last year ran a parent and carers support group so if they were parent and carers of a trans or lgbt person they could come along to this group and meet other parents who are having similar experiences and sort of learn about how can you best support your young person um and we found we looked around and again this is why developing a strategy was so powerful for us and we were like oh we're like the fourth person providing this in the area and then you also have um, F flag, which do an amazing job. Yeah, no, they they uh, they won an award, didn't they? At the um, they, last year's Trans in the City event. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and they do really, really fantastic work, and they specialise in supporting parents yeah. and carers in, in group yeah. settings. So I'm like, well, why are we buffering in that case? Because there are so many amazing people doing it already. But what what was a gap and, and what we're moving our expertise to is that one-to-one support. Mm-hmm. So what we wanted to do was develop a scheme where parents have access to a member of the Blossom team on a one-to-one basis for an hour um, and chat through like personalized strategies, things like that for supporting their child, talk through their issues. Um, in a setting that isn't a group setting because for a lot of people a group setting is great but for some people a group setting is really intimidating um so that's why we decided to try this scheme um it's going to be one of the only services that blossom charges for um which charges are public for i should say which for us was a huge step so but it wouldn't be true to us to just charge a flat rate because we like to make things complicated. So we do it by socioeconomic experiences. So if someone says to us, I can only afford to give you five pounds for a session, we'll do it. And if someone says I can give you 50 pounds a session, we'll do it. Um, Because for us, it's not about making money, but (laughs) we unfortunately are You do need money now. We're at a point where grant funders won't touch lgbt causes because it's such a so a hostile position so we need to yeah. start finding ways to to cover our costs so this is one of the services that will hopefully contribute to it but because it wouldn't be true to us to just charge everyone a flat rate we think it's really important that we still take almost like a cooperative or tiered approach to this yeah one. Hmm. and then we've got this uh queer arts and heritage workshops which is in your expression pillar mm. Now, that one looks really interesting. 
Um, it's my favorite. Yeah, workshops focusing on growing, uh, nurturing, and empowering local creative talent whilst building LGBTQ plus communities pride in its own heritage. Yeah, I mean, that sounds great. Yeah, so we did a lot of work with our service users around, do you feel connected with your community's history? And do you know what? And everything I kept hearing was, yeah, the Stonewall riots. But people didn't know much beyond the Stonewall riots. So they didn't know about ACT UP or... Um, why the pink triangle things like that and you know things the thing is is that queer heritage has been expressed through arts for years if you look at the importance of being earnest and um, it's so full of gay innuendos <laughs> the entire time um, and our community deserve to know that these things exist so the, the point of this yeah. is that we'll be taking inspiration from sort of queer arts and then translating it into um, future art, if that makes sense. Um, we're hoping to deliver it in partnership with some local archives, um, sorry, archives. So hopefully we'll be able to raid them. So we had Gag in Guildford, which was Guildford Gays. <laughs> and um, hopefully we can get into the archives and see some of their fantastic stuff and really learn about the, the culture and heritage of lgbtq plus community and then translate that into like meaningful art that keeps our history alive and almost removes that shadow of section 28 that so many of our communities yeah because i mean that would have stifled art especially wouldn't it i mean during the period that that was in place are there also some efforts that you're kind of move you know making it in terms of making it more mainstream you know working with i think so like more kind of mainstream you know i i guess like galleries and and other things that are going on you know i know i know yeah. a lot of this a lot of these kind of things go, are going on in liverpool at the moment there's there's some really interesting projects going on there um and i think some of them have been working with the tate at liverpool docks so are you, are you planning on doing those those kind of things where you, you maybe get some kind of artists to, to work on a collaborative exhibition somewhere like the Tate or something like that? So what we're hoping to do, and I, I suppose hoping is a strong word because this is all down to funding, yeah. um, and we're, we're, we're unfortunately begging uh, an organisation for the funding whilst they were quite happy to fund a film by the OGB Alliance. Um, I won't name them, but anyway... Um, yeah. So if we're successful, we want to do um, an, an annual art exhibition at a local um, a local art space and hopefully tour that around Surrey mm. as well. Um, we try, we did it the year, last year or the year before last for History Month and it, it was really fantastic um but we took a lot of learning from it and i think there's some really exciting ideas coming together so i'm really hoping that we can do it again um yeah. because beyond featuring our stories it's a great opportunity to actually platform artists who deserve to be commissioned and paid for their work but often aren't yeah i mean there's quite a few kind of little cafes and bars and things in Manchester in the Northern Quarter, which do, um, you know, like Mike Nights and, and Queer Art Nights and all kinds of stuff like that um, for the community in Manchester. Some of those are really kind of small things, but they, they I've been to a few 
they're they're real interesting, you know. Um, they're probably not very well attended, but you know, it's like once a month there might be there might be an event on somewhere, and you know, it's it's kind of small scale. But there's a real opportunity. I know. I know some of it's been done at Manchester Central Library. There's a there's a few bars in the Northern Quarter. Um, yeah, I mean more of it as, as far as I'm concerned. It's like, but it, it feels like it needs an injection of cash. It feels yeah. like it needs to be more kind of involved with organisations like LGBT Foundation could get involved with stuff like that. Give it more of a, you, you know, a kind of a, a broader more funded, more accessible, mm-hmm. you know, and set up. I don't, I don't know how they go about it, but it sounds like that's the kind of thing you're trying to do with that. Yeah, well, raising money as a queer cause is so difficult. Mm. Um, last year, we supported 152 queer young adults across the year. Um, we ran, I think it was something like, 72 or 75 events in that year which averages out to be more than one a week um on 10 grand for the entire year um which is not like not good not good money (laughs) no so so, i mean let's get on to that topic then of funding for blossom mm. what what are your kind of funding streams how how, where do you get your funding from currently what do you need to do so yeah so historically we've always just relied on grants um but that that hasn't necessarily worked as well as we wanted it to do and we we know that for blossom to grow we actually we need to employ people as well so what we're really hoping to do is um continue to get grants for our core work and then use our training and consultancy packages to fund sort of the the more in-depth work that we want to do the the staff that we need to deliver the work that we want to deliver um so realistically, it's going to be a long, long time to build that sort of customer base, I imagine. But that's kind of how we're hoping to generate the funds is sort of um, the the projects is what we call them. So the social group, the arts workshops to fund those through grants, but then our core operational costs. So um, the CEO, marketing someone to do our account that we're hoping to raise for our training consultancy um packages because you you're not you're not set up as a charity as such are you at the moment so we're a community interest company and what that yeah. means is that legally we're not for profit and um i could i can never take dividends from the organization anything like that so yeah. whatever we make in in the first in in one year any profit must be reinvested as a sort of a legal element must be reinvested back into our right. community. Yeah. So community interest company is that is that the setup currently? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which basically means we can have directors that also operate within the business. So very, it's very similar to a limited company setup. Yeah. But it means that not legally we're not for profit. And yeah. if we ever, if we ever folded, any assets that we have, we have to donate to another LGBT charity. Right. So there's there's certain kind of there's a bit of a framework there around what you can and can't do in terms of yeah taxation and stuff. Um, okay. So we we we've spoken about trans in the city quite a bit, and you you're a director there as well as doing what you're doing with Blossom. Um, so your your role there is a is a director of. Um, mentoring schemes is that mm-hmm. is that correct 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's just let's just chat about that a little bit because I know the company I work for, and I'm not going to name them for obvious reasons, but um, we've been, you know, we're involved with trans in the city, and I think we we we're, we're trying to get get it funded for this year. I know the the trans in the city model has changed a little bit from last year, where it was a pay per event thing. Now it's kind of a an ongoing relationship where you pay for a you know, access to the stuff that Trans in the City provides, you know, and, and you benefit in other ways by sponsoring it. So, yeah, interesting change, different model. Um, so this 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 thing you're trying to do in mentoring, um, how's that going to work in Trans in the City terms with companies like mine, you know, a big engineering company? Um I can imagine the number of places in mentoring is quite limited. I'm 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 just interested to understand how that how that's going to work. I'm, yeah, I'm, so I'm <laughs> <laughs> so we're still in the early stages of the mentoring yeah. development. So my role is to basically create this scheme from right. from the ground. So um there there's still work to do to get it to a place where i, I would yeah. be comfortable being like here's mm-hmm. all the here's all the juicy details but no no the, i'm not the main... <laughs> <laughs> but the the main point of what we want to do here is to support uh trans and non-binary young adults who mm-hmm. are entering the who are in the workplace or are working in grassroots settings to be able to create change and advocate for their needs in a way that is positive, in a way that supports their career development, uh, yeah. and in a way that creates better outcomes for all trans and non-binary people. So the scheme will work with professional-based um, trans and non-binary people, but also mm-hmm. from grassroots, and it will kind of be a combination of um, creating change for the trans community, but also supporting them with their sort of professional development at the same time yeah so it's i mean if it's focusing on younger people who might be Mm -hmm. coming into a business like ours which is huge um i think it's very daunting and hard for young people to you know if they are from the lgbtq community to navigate their way through you know what is available uh for them in a company like ours like mine um you know, we have we have ERGs, which represent a lot of the different minorities that you would find in workplaces. There's one for each, I think. Um, so, I mean, they're kind of there as employee groups run by employees on a part-time basis. And then you've also got what the company's doing in terms of its DNI inclusivity programs, such as working with Stonewall and others. Um, but yeah, if if there was something where a young person could be kind of helped, mentored, you know, in how to navigate their career and how the business works, you know, as an LGBT person, LGBTQ plus person, you know, I think that's I think that's really useful because even though we're supposed to be diverse and inclusive, there's still a lot of barriers, you know, in your way if you are LGBTQ in the workplace mm-hmm. even though you know those are going away slowly there's still a lot of things in place which are kind of might stop you might prevent you might make you feel as though you're not included you know so it's how, how to well, navigate exactly. all that stuff is really important 
I think you could work for the most inclusive organization imaginable. Yeah, and still uh, find somebody entering work. the workplace. Yeah, yeah. Like really, I'm talking about really simple things like how do I change my gender marker in the HR system? Exactly yeah. that. And, you know, I'm thinking back to me when I first started on work. I probably wouldn't feel comfortable asking that question because I wouldn't want to look like a newbie that doesn't really know what they're talking about. Yeah. And then, so, you know, all the kind of laws around privacy, you know, like, mm-hmm you're not supposed to talk about things like gender recognition certificates or out people or talk about their gender history. That's all, you know, stuff that people just entering the workplace may not be aware of. There may not be any training given to them for those topics because it's just not something the company talks about. You know, I mean, the the company might be following the, you know, the Equality Act rules or the Gender Recognition Act rules, but, I don't think they always fully understand the fact that in some cases they need to educate managers and employees on those rules because it's very easy to fall foul of, um, you know, the Gender Recognition Act rules around disclosing information about trans people. I don't think that's mm-hmm. covered properly at all in terms of privacy. So there's, there's there's lots of little things like like that, and then how do you how do you navigate your HR system and your your taxation systems within HR? When you when you're changing your details with or without a gender recognition certificate in place, there's lots of kind of little technical things like that that most people will never have heard of and don't know how to navigate. I mean, it, I come across these kind of things all the time at work with people who are going through you know transition and they want to change the name, they want to change the gender identity. They they're not sure if they can update their tax records yet because they haven't got a GRC. You know, and it. it you know, we we try and involve the the ERG that's supposed to be dealing with this, and and some of them, some of those people don't know the answers because they've not lived it themselves. HR department doesn't really know. So to have an organisation like yours come along, or, you know, like Trans in a City that's got experts in these areas, and can and can you know talk and mentor young people, I think that, yeah, really useful because they'll they'll come in ready prepared and have a resource to go and talk to if they need help with certain issues. Exactly. And that's what we're going to do is we're going to help them be ready to step up and say this needs doing. And I think there's going to be amazing. um, It's going to be an amazing project. It's so powerful. So I I really am excited. I can think of so many. I can think of so many things, so many areas where that's important, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely that. Yeah, so I mean, is is that something that's going to be ready this year, or or maybe later in later in the year? Or I, we're hoping by November, but I think it's really important that every we remember everyone at Trans in the City are volunteers from yeah. the top up, top down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't want to give you an exact. No, no, I'm just. It, it's like it's it's, it's something that's coming up pretty soon. Oh, I'm hoping. Fingers yeah, crossed. yeah, exactly that. Yeah, I'm quite excited about that one. Um, keep me posted. <laughs> yeah, I will do. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's so many, there's so many things where, if there was a resource like Trans in the City that we could, you know, just call up and ask. Mm-hmm. You know, even you know, even if it's Blossom, it doesn't have to be Trans in the City. I mean, it sounds like Blossom is trying to do the same kind of things. You know, we have that, that those relationships with those organisations where you can say, okay, what's the what's the you know the best practice in this area 
and how do we how do we you know put that in place in the company i mean a really good example is there's some of the work that's going on in the health insurance area where a lot of companies don't provide private health insurance and if they do it doesn't include trans surgeries or trans healthcare in any way but yeah there, there are some companies that are now doing that so, and, the, and what they're finding is that they can introduce you know trans healthcare and it doesn't it doesn't affect the price from the insurance companies because there's there's so few of us you know it doesn't really affect the bottom line prices which is it was a fascinating fact that I learned recently that you can actually give people this extra cover that they really need and it doesn't cost the company anything <laughs> uh exactly um I, I was working with it through blossom actually I, I was supporting an organization who well it's not the exact same thing but their eap mm. um so the employee assistance program had, yeah. didn't have any so didn't didn't support lgbt people at all and i was like well look this one is not only cheaper, but they also provide detailed training for their mentors, uh, for their <laughs> counsellors on LGBT inclusion. And it's just, it, it makes sense, right? And yeah. I think that, that that expertise is invaluable um, and something that that you only learn by doing doing this sort of work. So it's, so it's, it's, yeah. it's impossible to expect an organisation to know it, I think. Yeah, so it's obvious why you're working with Transit City because, you know, you try and do the same things with Boston. <laughs> with a reason, yeah. <laughs> so it all works. It's all connected. It's all connected. <laughs> yeah, I think, so Trans in the City and Blossom are slightly different in the sense that for Blossom, our goal is to get people into work, whereas yeah. Trans in the City's goal it's is more to, do to with corporations, create isn't inclusive it? work. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Excellent. So I think I think we've um, we've run out of time. We've gone over our one-hour slot. Um and we've covered all the topics. So, was there anything yeah, else you wanted to? Was there anything else you wanted to uh, promote or talk about? Um, Do you know? I think we've. Off? I think we've done a pretty good job today. We've done so good. just we've done pretty good. you know, thank thank you for having me. Well, you're always welcome. You're always welcome to come on and have a chat anytime you want. If you've got something thank new you. to come and talk about, just let me know, and we'll we'll get you back on. I'll Happy see you to next promote. Week in that case. <laughs> Do our weekly podcast with Oscar. <laughs> what stupid things is Oscar doing now? <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for coming on. Really enjoyed it. Um, Thank you. Not sure when this is going out, but it'll be going out soon. Is it going out as a bonus in between the episode between Series 1 and Series 2? So don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to like. And thank you, Oscar, for being an amazing guest. Thank you. So I'll sign us off there. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.